835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We have a lot of ground to cover. Let's get right to it. Uh, first of all, if you wanted to head start on today's program, uh, we announced this yesterday. I'm I'm now back on Twitter. You can follow me at, uh, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. And um, what we do is every morning I try to get up especially order early and tweet out what our three big things are going to be. Plus, I've got a link to a story we're going to be talking about a little bit later on. Um, we'll also be giving you a chance to see this. If you wonder why people hate the mainstream media, CNN, I'm talking about you. Um, We've got a great story about that that we'll be talking about in the 9 o'clock hour, so stick around. Again, we start off today's program like we start off every program with three big things. Story number one, President Trump goes to Texas and the long knives are out. Now, let me just say this at the beginning. I understand that there are aspects of President Trump's style which are at best off-putting. I wish he would stop with the tweets. I think he is thin-skinned. I think that his tendency to go off off the teleprompter, speaking off the top of his head, lashing out at, at enemies, both Republicans and perceived enemies on the, in, the, in the Republican side and Democrats, I, I think it, it does him a disservice. Um, that is his personality. I think his tendency to want to belittle people, to bully people, ends up hurting him. So I am critical of that. At the same time, I've watched the way that Trump gets covered, and my belief is that here is a guy that if he decided that he was going to give every man, woman, and child in the United States a $100 bill, he would get negative coverage because, well, he gave him a $100 bill. Do you know how hard it is to break that? You know, he should have given him 520s or 1010s. I, I seriously believe that that's going on. And big story number one, you saw this, at least in my opinion, play out yesterday. All right. <clears throat> Everybody knows what's going on in Texas. You've got the Corpus Christi, the Houston area. Just, I mean, all time. I mean, this, this, it's not the flood of a lifetime. It is the flood of, you know, several lifetimes. 52 inches of rain down there. To put it in perspective, in Wisconsin and Milwaukee, we typically average about 34 inches of rain for an entire year. Um, they, they got 52 inches in the matter of four or five days, and there's nowhere for the water to go. So we've been seeing the pictures of the devastation. I think at the end of the day, unfortunately, I mean, it's, you know, you're going to be talking about not months. You're going to be talking about years to figure out how to deal with all the devastation that's happened. So President Trump decides to make a, a visit. Now, President Trump intentionally waited until Tuesday, not because he was insensitive about this, but rather because you, you don't you don't want to fly in, in in the worst of it. It's still really, really bad right now. You've got all the things with the levees, but you, you want to at least wait a little bit to kind of see how the emergency management people are handling it. So he and his wife decide that they're going to go down there. They schedule conferences. Now, it, it all starts with pictures of Melania who is walking with him across the White House lawn to the helicopter that's going to take him to the Air Force Base, it's going to take him to Texas. She's, I'm looking at a picture of this now, Um, she is wearing high heels. Now, this is, she's wearing high heels as she walks from the White House to the helicopter. And the Internet goes wild. Um, One story after another, ripping Melania, 
for wearing high heels. Now, I don't know if she actually wore the high heels when she got to Houston, but it's like, oh, my gosh, look, she's wearing stilettos. This is this is horrible. So that's you, you've got people, honest to God, you know, you've got people who are dying. You have people who have lost their homes and you've got people that are now obsessed with the fact that the first lady is wearing high heels as she walks to the helicopter to travel to Texas. All right. That's number one. It then gets worse. President Trump lands in Texas. What they do is they have a um, he, he addresses a number of people, first of all, in Corpus Christi near near a firehouse. So he goes to speak to them. Um, let me give you now. Well, this is the analysis that's in the Chicago Tribune today. What a crowd. Texas welcomes Trump, who's more about exclamation points than empathy. As rescuers continued their exhausting and heartbreaking work in southeastern Texas on Tuesday afternoon, as the rain continued to fall and a reservoir near Houston spilled over, President Donald Trump grabbed a microphone to address hundreds of supporters who had gathered outside a firehouse near Corpus Christi and were chanting, USA, USA. Thank you, everybody, the president said, sporting one of the white USA caps that are being sold on his campaign website for $40. I just want to say, we love you. You are special. What a crowd. What a turnout. Again, this is the story. Trump managed to turn attention on himself. His responses to the devastation caused by Hurricane Harvey have been more focused on the power of the storm and his administration's response than on the millions of Texans whose lives have been dramatically altered by the floodwaters. He has talked favorably about the higher television ratings that come with hurricane coverage, predicted that he will soon be congratulating himself, and used 16 exclamation points in 22 often breathless tweets about the storm. But as late Tuesday afternoon, the president had yet to mention those killed, call on other Americans to help, or directly encourage donations to relief organizations. All right, 414-799-1620. I I read a lot of the stories in the national media, so you do not have to. This is not atypical of what is out there. President goes down to Texas, has the meeting with different advisors, you know, has the governor there, has a number of the congressmen there, has a lot of the emergency responders. These meetings are televised, and the general analysis is this is another example of how the Trumps have no empathy for, for people. It's all about them. Can you believe that the first lady wore high heels as she was getting on the helicopter? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is fair. Oftentimes to criticize President Trump for his style. At the same time, I think that there's a lot of people who suffer from what in Wisconsin we used to refer to as Walker derangement syndrome, and that is Trump derangement syndrome. I watched his appearances in Texas yesterday. I understand that he is different than, say, well, a Barack Obama, but at the same time, I watched this, and this criticism, oh, he lacked empathy. This was terrible. He doesn't care about the victims. I think that is a highly cheap shot. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I, I think, I thought President Trump did just absolutely fine yesterday. I, I did. 414-799-1620, does he deserve to be berated for a lack of empathy? Does the first lady be deserve to be criticized because, my God, of her footwear as she was getting on the helicopter? 414-799-1620, to me, this is Trump derangement syndrome at its worst, regardless of how you feel about the president. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 843. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, this is a paragraph out of the New York Times story. At Joint Base Andrews, Trump's wife Melania, who accompanied him, boarded Air Force One, bound for the disaster zone in six-inch stiletto heels that became the subject of wide comment on social media. Instead of touring shelters or visiting local residents in their homes and businesses, Mr. Trump stuck close to emergency management officials, men in uniforms, and seemed most animated when he basked in the applause of an impromptu rally outside the Corpus Christi firehouse. Although he repeatedly emphasized the difficulties and perils ahead, the president spoke effusively about the success of the response as the storm churned ominously north and local officials cautioned against complacency. I mean, this is the type of coverage that you end up getting. I mean, really, I, I don't think that there, if President Trump had gone to soup kitchens or had gone to you know one of the rescue shelters he would have been criticized for i don't know trying to exploit the people who were there using them as props or whatever at some point in time it's just it's just annoying to me that the guy and i criticize him when he deserves it and he deserves it a lot but i didn't think that there was anything wrong at all about what happened yesterday and my god People are obsessed about what the first lady is wearing as she goes onto the helicopter. Now, people are texting me saying, well, she changed into tennis shoes on the helicopter or on the plane. Yeah, that's fine. But we're obsessed about her footwear. Jonathan in Chicago. Jonathan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Jonathan. Okay, let's try. I'm sorry. Let's try Bob in Waterford. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, you know, when I saw that yesterday for the first time on a replay on CNN, my first initial was, OMG, what is he doing? But then again, like you said, every single time this man steps out the door, he's getting criticized for whatever he does. I did not vote for Trump. I don't agree with what he's Mm -hmm. doing. But there are times when people really need to focus on reality. You know, it, it just, it's upsetting to see this constantly bash for whatever he does. And it's, it's the way it is. Well, well right. Put him in this position. Well, well, right. I mean, thanks. I mean, that, that's, that's, that you're right. That is what's so frustrating to me. It, and look, and I, and I, I'm the guy that says, I wish he would stop tweeting. I'm the guy who says, for, for God's sakes, you know, why do you go off message and start screaming at reporters and engaging in this thing about, you know, your, your response to Charlottesville? You know, but it, but again, all right. So you, you've got an ongoing disaster of biblical proportions going on down in Houston. What you end up doing is you have the president who visits this. He's talking to, no, you're right, he he didn't go to the soup kitchen. He didn't go to the, uh, again, one of the rescue centers because presumably the people that are there have their hands full with all the people who are coming in. And as a matter of fact, a little bit later on, we're going to talk about how CNN handled that story. It's an amazing video, and I'll share it with you in a little bit. But so he says, okay, here, I'm going to have this impromptu meeting. I'm going to talk to the emergency management people. I'm going to talk to the people who are responsible for this. Then he gets criticized. Well, he showed no empathy for the victims. Well, he showed plenty, in my opinion, empathy for the victims. Now, I don't know whether or not 
you know, President Trump, whether that's particularly in his nature. Is he a particularly um, empathetic person? I, I, I don't know. And maybe, again, this is this style that's out there. But this obsession with, well, he met with the emergency management people. He didn't go to the homeless shelter. Well, for, for goodness sakes, I am sure that he will make other visits later on to Texas. In this particular case, he got there. He did not, I think, want to make the visit necessarily about himself other than to say, we're doing everything we can. We're on top of this. We're going to try to make this better. And for that, he gets criticized. And the stuff about her footwear, I mean, for goodness sakes, you know, uh, give me a break. Let's concentrate on, uh, again, let's worry about some of the big stuff that's out there. And that, I think, gets lost quite a bit. Um, let's say, let's see, let's go to our text line. Um, Randy texts, remember how they criticized President Bush for 9-11, the book reading, and then, um, at the site when he had his sleeves rolled up. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, remember President, uh, Bush was reading books to, um, some children, and they didn't stop, um, right after the 9-11 reports first came in. They finished that, and, and then, you know, they ended up traveling to the, the scenes. I mean, for goodness sakes. Andrew and Greenfield says, these media outlets must lack, must lack empathy for the victims of the hurricane. They managed to turn a natural disaster into an attack on Trump. Very, very classy. Yeah, that's the whole point of this. Again, um, you have to you can criticize Trump for a lot of stuff and I think that's fair but really I mean really and you're going after Melania for wearing heels as she goes to the helicopter why don't we concentrate on really what's going on in Texas and the scope of that disaster all right when we come back big story number two a woman takes on a mugger it's woman one mugger zero stick around it's 853. It's 8.55, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. The Brewers and Cardinals wrap up their short two-game set with a matinee out at Miller Park. Bob and Jeff begin our game day coverage. Tune in, 12.35, here on WTMJ. All right, big story number two. More and more Milwaukeeans are protecting themselves with guns. Uh, Channel 12 reported this last night. Let me read you the story. An armed robber targeted a man who had just made a withdrawal from a cash machine, but the victim turned the tables. Then it focuses at woman. It says, this woman is out in her yard Monday night when she heard a crack of gunfire and came face to face with a robber. She says, I was outside getting my dog, and then you hear this shot, and I see a guy falling right in front of me. I didn't know where the shot came from, and then he was right there. It scared me. Police say a 51-year-old man was walking in the Jackson Park neighborhood when a robber hit him in the head. Neighbors said the man told him he had just been at an ATM up the street, had just withdrawn cash, He was walking home when the robber attacked. The robber was obviously following the guy from the bank because he knew he had money on him, is what one of the witnesses says. The robber hit the guy with a rock. It was the victim who had the gun. Um, The victim, the man who'd just been to the bank, was hit in the head with a rock. And the guy who got hit with the rock pulled out his gun and fired. (laughs) He didn't expect 
that is the robber, didn't expect the victim to have the gun. Robber got away. Neighbor spotted a woman in a getaway car, gave police the license plate number. And then the story goes on to talk about how the victim, this would be the man who was hit in the head with the rock, was taken to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. The district attorney will review the case to decide if the victim was justified in firing his gun. Well, let me make that one a real easy case. You're walking back from an ATM. Somebody assaults you, hits you in the head with a rock with the intent to steal from you. Yeah, I I don't think that there is a jury in any county, perhaps even Dane County, but certainly not in Milwaukee County, that is going to convict the 51-year-old man of, of anything in connection with defending himself after he is the victim of the attack. Oh, by the way, they don't have they don't even have the robber yet. He he's gotten away, presumably gotten away to decide to rob somebody else in the very near future. But here's the interesting aspect of this story to me. We are hearing more and more stories about people who are the victims of carjackings, which are rampant, um, smash and grab, home invasions, and just plain old assaults. In this case, the guy was targeted because he went to an ATM. Can you imagine that? He went to an ATM. And I think one of the things that you are seeing is more and more people are starting to realize that they have a need to protect themselves. In this case... The guy had a gun. You had the other case about a week or so ago where you had the woman who was um, in the process of being carjacked. Remember, the guy put on brass knuckles and was punching her. She reached into her purse and had pepper spray or something like that, and she used it to defend herself. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. More and more people are trying, are considering, I think, either carrying some form, whether it's a firearm or whether it's pepper spray, whether it's, I don't know, bug spray, something to defend themselves from attacks. Some would argue this is making the streets more dangerous. I think that this is going to be an ongoing situation. And I will tell you, if I lived in a high-crime area, um, if my wife lived in a high-crime area, I would be encouraging either carrying firearms or pepper spray or something like that because I think you need, and this isn't vigilantism, I just think you need to start protecting yourself. 414-791-620, is it a dangerous trend that people are starting to protect themselves or is this just the logical extension of what is happening on the streets? This is big story number two and we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. We start with this conversation and the calls right after the news. It's nine o'clock. It's 909. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're just tuning in, we're right in the middle of our three big things. Big story number two. Um, in Milwaukee on Monday night, there's a guy who goes to an ATM. This is the Jackson Park area. Goes to an ATM, gets his money. He's walking home when he is attacked by a guy who hits him in the head with a rock. Apparently, the guy who attacks the man, he's, he's trying to rob him. You saw the guy went to the bank. He's following him home. The, dro- the attacker, the robber, has a female accomplice who's in the getaway car. So this is a crime of opportunity. Well, the victim, in this case, surprises him because he's carrying a gun. Pulls out the gun and apparently fires a shot at the would-be robber who's hitting with the rock. The robber then runs off. 
Um, the man is taken to the hospital. The DA's office is deciding whether they're going to issue charges against the victim in this case. Now, I, I don't think that there's any way, shape, or form that the district attorney is going to actually bring charges against a man who is assaulted with a rock. But the larger point here is, how many of these stories have we seen? How many people have we heard about who are being carjacked and attacked? And more and more people are deciding, hey, we're going to defend ourselves. We're not just going to be the victims. We're going to carry the firearms to protect ourselves. Remember you had the story a couple weeks ago about the woman who was being carjacked. The guy puts on the brass knuckles is hitting her she reaches into her purse and pulls out bug spray or pepper spray or something or sprays him i think this is the logical extension of what is going on on the streets more people just simply saying we are not going to be victims and you know what it is an unfortunate trend but it is a trend that i I think i completely support and i will tell you if i regularly traveled or lived in areas that were high crime areas i would consider doing exactly the same Let's start with Bob in Big Bend. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Jeff. I'm a law enforcement officer in Milwaukee County, and I support people carrying weapons to defend themselves. Um, You know, we're responders. We're first responders. When we get there, most likely the situation is over with. Right. If a robber sees an officer, he's obviously not going to commit a robbery. These people, these robbers are preying on people in high crime areas where the cops are sparse and doing what they need to do to rob people. Um, I just tell people, be smart about it. If the situation doesn't involve you, don't pull out your weapon, don't intervene, step back and be a good observer. A witness, yeah. A life or death situation. If yeah. you find yourself in one of those situations where you have to pull the trigger and have to defend yourself, you better be trained in that situation and able to explain yourself on why you did what you did because I know from experience the district attorney's office in Milwaukee County is pressing charges on certain situations where people shouldn't intervene, people shouldn't have pulled a weapon, but at the same token, they're obviously not going to press charges if you're yeah. a victim of a robbery or is a deadly And you're defending situation. yourself, yeah. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Do you think this leads more? Some people would say, oh, you know, what you guys are talking about, Bob and Jeff, you're you're talking about vigilanteism and encouraging people to take the law into their own hands. I don't think so. It leaves the less people being a a victim of a crime, in my opinion, and defending themselves, which they have the right to do. I mean, this is ridiculous that people are thinking, well, people are going to be going out being vigilantes, solving crimes themselves. You know, that's ridiculous. It's going to give a person the opportunity to save their life or the life of one another. More people are figuring out it's the way to go. And I love stories and situations where people save themselves, protected mm-hmm. their life, some cases property and stuff like that. But the biggest thing is you've got to be smart about these situations and not intervene when you shouldn't have. Right. And Protect your life more so than property, typically. Well, right. No, exactly. Thanks for call, Bob. And that, that's kind of where I come down to, too. I mean, I, I'm think, I, I, I flash back to that story, like I say, a couple weeks ago, where you have the guy with the brass knuckles who's beating the snot out of the, this woman as they're, try, you know, as, they're, as they're trying to steal her car. You know, she's being punched in the face. Um, she reaches into her purse, and I think it was pepper spray. It could have been bug spray. I don't know what she had. But she sprays the guy, and then he runs off. I mean, who knows what would have happened?
have happened if she weren't able how who knows how badly she was beaten and she was beaten pretty badly as it was but who knows how badly she would have been beaten had she not been in a position to defend herself now clearly if you're not comfortable carrying a firearm you shouldn't carry a firearm i mean i'm not and i wouldn't urge that on on people but the truth of the matter is i think you have to recognize that in certain high crime areas crime is simply out of control there is no respect for people there's no respect for property and you could very well be a victim and so i guess i look at some of these stories and i think okay maybe maybe a story like this makes the next you know punk or thug who thinks that hey this 51 year old guy walking back from the atm is easy pickings maybe it makes him i'll think twice before he hits the guy in the head with a rock Angeline in Milwaukee. Angeline, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you, ma'am. What do you think? Okay, I, I'm in full agreement with people protecting themselves. It's sad that you don't worked, you know, all of your life for your money. You cannot even go get what you worked for, what rightly belongs to you. These people out here are very vicious. Mm-hmm. And Jesus spoke of these days of lawlessness and man becoming faint out of fear. I wouldn't leave out of my house without a weapon either. What's happening is not making the streets more dangerous. It's not creating a vigilante thing. What is going on is that it's getting dangerous for the dangerous. Well, it, it is, and, and people are going to be victimized, especially in some of the high-crime areas. And so it, it's just a matter of, hey, I, I don't want to be a target, or if somebody's going to come up and attack me and assault me, I want to at least be in a position to defend myself or to try to defend myself instead of just being a, a, a victim. And, I mean, I, I think you got to support people in doing that. That's right, because like the lady they beat with the brass knuckles, if she hadn't came out of her purse and sprayed whatever it was she sprayed, right. they would have killed that lady. When they attack you like that, they're not looking to spare your life. Uh, no, they don't care. No, thanks for the call, Angeline. They, they, they just, they don't care. And I mean, I remember, what, a year or two ago when Sheriff Clark, you know, ran all those public service announcements saying, hey, you know, call 911. But if there's a home invasion, you got to realize we're, we're not going to be able to get there right away. So you need to start thinking about ways to protect yourself and to defend yourself. And remember all the heat that Sheriff Clark took? Well, I mean, that's that's just what the reality is. And that's now this next step that's out there. You know, you have people, the, the carjackers have become more bold. The robbers have become more bold. I don't know if there's more of them out there. I don't know if the fact that, you know, when you commit these crimes and you get caught, nothing happens to you. I don't know whether that is encouraging this type of stuff. But at the same time, you know, people are at risk. And in a story like this, uh, again, the DA's office is considering charges. Now, again, I don't think that there's any way in the world they'd bring charges. No jury would ever convict this guy if he's really hit in the head with a rock by a robber and he shoots at the robber. Good luck trying to convict the guy. And look, and I don't want to see Milwaukee turn into the wild, wild west, but the truth is we are the wild, wild west, except right now it's the criminals that have made it this way. All right, when we come back, big story number three, they don't fool around with looters in Texas. Stick around. It's 917. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 921, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We have all, all this stuff going on. It, it's actually, my life has gotten more complicated since uh, the, I, I'm up on Twitter now. But check it out. I am part of the Twitterverse. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. A lot of people are doing that already. And you get kind of a head start on some of the things that we are going to be doing. All right, coming up um, in, in the next 20 minutes or so, 
there, there, there was an implosion on CNN yesterday. And if you wonder why people hate the mainstream media, it is because of things like this. It's an interview that was done. If you haven't seen this yet, it's an interview that was done with a woman who just came into one of the rescue facilities. It is one of the most amazing things I have ever seen. Um, we're going to be talking about it. We're going to play an edited, right, BD, who's producing this? Because there's bad words in it. We're going to pro- play an edited version of this. But if you want to see the unedited report, if you simply text the word reporter, R-E-P-O-R-T-E-R, reporter to 414-799-1620, we'll send you a link to the story, and you can see the report as it went out on CNN. Like I say, a little bit later on, we'll play an edited version. There's bad words in this. There are words that I cannot play on the radio, but were in the report that went out over CNN. And if you want to understand why people hate the mainstream media, this is Exhibit A. If you text REPORTER to 414-799-1620, we will send you a link to the story, and we'll be talking about that in just a little bit. Um, All right, big story number three. They don't fool around with with looters down in Houston. Um, This, there are... There are special type of there are special types of low lives low lives in the world, and and in general I, I put criminals into that class, but people who, for example, see other people at their at their worst at the, at the worst point in time in their life, and my guess is for a lot of the people down in the Houston area. The people who for the last four or five days have been dealing with the hurricane, dealing with 50 inches of of rain, who have in many cases, you know, their lives are threatened. They've watched the possessions. And again, it's stuff. At the end of the day, stuff can be replaced. But the damage is is catastrophic. I mean, you're, you're watching this home that you've lived in for, you know, decades just be swept away or be destroyed. Only about 20% of the people down there have flood insurance. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But, you know, you, you have people who are at their absolute lowest. And the people that decide they are going to try to take advantage of that, um, there is a special spot, and you know where, for them. Well, interestingly enough, now that the rain is starting to subside down in Houston, there is another problem which is emerging. It's why authorities have announced, one of the reasons why they announced a curfew, part of which is, I mean, there's still all the damage from the levees and they're afraid of all that, but part of it is because they have had a number of people who have decided, hey, this is the time. Um, Let's go loot. Um, One story after another coming out of Houston, people... And we're not talking about situations where somebody's going into a grocery store that's been closed and getting some peanut butter. We're talking about people that are hitting electronic stores. We're talking about people that are hitting, like, the GameStop stores. We are talking about criminals who are deciding this is a target of opportunity, and and we're going to go in and we're going to take advantage of other people's misery. Matter of fact, there was a reporter... Um, for ABC, who was criticized because he actually, you know, he, he was doing a live report and he was showing looters. And some people were saying, oh, that's just horrible. How could you be showing the, these looters? Um, well, they're showing the looters because it demonstrates what some of the low lives are doing out there. Well, here's what's really interesting in, in Texas. Um, in Texas, they have a, a special law 
which says that if you commit various types of crimes, essentially if you do robberies or you do burglaries, um, if you do stuff that would be described as looting during the time of an emergency, the penalties, the criminal penalties, and they don't fool around in Texas to begin with, but the criminal penalties double and triple. For example, you know, you're looking at mandatory jail time, and in some cases, you could be looking up to, up to life in prison for engaging in acts of looting. Now, some of the hand ringers are out there saying, oh, that's just too tough. I mean, yes, these people shouldn't be doing that, but, you know, what's, you know, that's, that they're, you know, they're just trying to, I don't know, they're just trying to better themselves or whatever. Not only do I support the, these enhanced penalties for looting, I think every state should have one. For the people who engaged, for example, in the rioting in Sherman Park and decided that they were going to use that as an opportunity to, I don't know, the civil unrest was going to be a basis for them to bust into liquor stores and see how many cases of booze they could carry out. Yes, those people not only deserve to be in prison, but they deserve to be in prison for a lengthy period of time. Now, down in Texas where I suspect lots and lots of people go armed. My prediction is, and I hope I'm wrong, but my prediction is some of the follow-up stories are going to be, you're going to have some of these would-be robbers or looters, and they're going to pick some of the wrong places to go into, and then you're going to have another story because people are going to be in there and they're going to be defending themselves. But you know, regardless of whether or not that happens, down in Houston, looting is treated as a big deal. It's big deal in Texas. The sheriff... The police chief and the local district attorney are all out there saying, if you're thinking about doing this, be aware, you know, the jails are going to be open 24-7. And anybody we catch doing this is going to go to jail, and they're going to go to jail for a long period of time. They're not passing go. And you know what? This is going to be my prediction, the follow-up story, as you have a whole series of vultures that decide that they are going to move into this community and try to enrich themselves when other people are at the very lowest point in their life. For every single person that gets caught breaking into homes or stores or engaging in looting, yeah, they should go to prison, and they should go to prison for a long period of time. And ultimately, I think they're... Big picture, they're going to end up going somewhere else as well for the afterlife. Just saying, if you want to see this CNN report, we'll send you a, which to me, again, is amazing and underscores why people hate the mainstream media. If you text the word reporter to 414-799-1620, um, we'll send you a link to that. You can also download a link off our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Um, there's bad words in it. So graphic language, if you're easily offended, um, maybe you want to take a pass. 414-799-1620, text us the word reporter. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, following the president's visit yesterday and even more aid from around the nation on its way to the Gulf Coast. What's next for those impacted by Harvey? John McCure has the latest from Texas after Brewers baseball today during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Tune in, check that out. All right, I I have to admit that when, when you have natural disasters, it brings out, in many cases, the best 
and in some cases the worst of of the media. You know, we started off the program with my big story number one. President Trump travels down to to Texas. He has an impromptu public appearance outside a Corpus Christi firehouse. He he gets ripped for that. He goes up to Austin. He has a meeting with emergency managers. The governor's there. He gets ripped. Oh, you didn't go to the homeless shelter or whatever. And it just it's frustrating that you have people who are going to second guess and criticize everything. Well, all right, here's one of the other things that drives me crazy about how the media approaches some of these things. When when you have the natural disasters, and I've been railing about this for the longest period of time, for example, you watch the weather coverage, and at the same time, we're telling everybody, get out of the hurricane. You, You have the poor reporters who they decide to stick in the middle of the hurricane. So you see the person, I mean, sooner or later, somebody's going to get killed on, on live TV, all in order to get the pictures. I mean, it just drives me crazy. It's like, all right, you know, you, you can be in a safe spot. You can have the cameras. You can show that the, the hurricane's hitting. You, you don't need to put people there. But we put people there not to give it any sort of perspective, but just because, well, um, you know, here's the idea. We, we want to, you know, we want to show our reporters doing what we tell everybody else not to do. There's also this degree of cluelessness that from time to time I find to be absolutely amazing. As we were saying a little bit earlier when we were talking about looting, for the people who are, and I don't care I don't care whether it's a hurricane or a tornado or a massive fire or whatever, there are a lot of people in Houston right now, this is the low point in their life. You know, they've been inundated 50-some inches of rain. You know, many of them have been trapped in their homes. They've probably watched everything that they've worked for their entire life is now gone. All that type of stuff going on. Their, you know, life is threatened. It's been miserable conditions. They've been trapped in homes or whatever, waiting for people to try to rescue them for days. No power, you know, no access to food, all these different types of things. And so you now have the media that is telling the story. And it is, of course, a legitimate story to tell. But there is a time and a place for everything. So yesterday, CNN has one of their reporters, um, Rosa Flores is her name, and she's she's camped out at one of these Houston shelters where people are pouring into um, after they've been essentially trapped in their homes or whatever for the last four or five days. And the CNN reporter decides that she is going to interview a, a woman. And, again, if you text us the word reporter to 414-799-1620, I'll, I'll send, we'll send you the link to actually the video. So you can see this woman who is standing there with her children. She's a mess. I mean, her hair is – you can just tell – you can tell that this is – this has been a really, really bad time. And CNN decides that they are going to interview her. She's clearly agitated and gets more agitated during the course of the interview. All right, we're going to play an edited version because there are bad words that went out on the air on CNN. But here is the interview with the CNN reporter and this woman um, identified only as Danielle. Again, she's standing. She's just gotten into this homeless shelter. She's soaking wet. She's got her kids that are soaking wet. Here's the interview. Let me introduce you to Danielle here. Danielle, you just arrived. Share with us how you were rescued. Some guys had uh, called our phone and asked us where we were. We was waiting for the police for like 36 hours and they never came. And we was waiting at the home. We did the white flags and everything and nobody came. But then somebody had called the phone after we decided to leave the house and we had walked to the gas station with the kids. And then they had called and came and picked us up. 
but we had been there like five days with, with no food and no lights and nobody came like nobody came now you're with your children we've heard of stories of, of mothers trying to save their children from the rushing waters can you ex tell us how we that was four feet of water to go get them food on the first day yeah that's but y'all sitting here, y'all trying to interview people during their worst times. Like, that's not the smartest thing to do. Like, Sorry. people are really breaking down, and y'all sitting here with cameras and microphones trying to ask us what's wrong with us. So I'm so and sorry. And you're really man. trying to understand with the microphone still in my face, sorry. with me shivering cold, with my kids wet, and you still putting a microphone sorry, in man. my face. Sorry. Uh, Rosa Flores, uh, it sounds like you've got a very upset family there. Uh, we're going to take a break uh, from that, uh, and we'll get back to you later on. Uh, Rosa Flores in Houston. Gee, it sounds like you've got a very upset family there. Boy, Mr. Bubble-Headed CNN anchor, I can't imagine why the family would be upset. You've got this woman who's standing there soaking wet, who's been trapped for five days, and you've got the reporter that's sticking the microphone in her face. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that there are stories to tell. And I understand that, I guess, you, you want to go where the action is. But, but seriously, at some point in time, is there a matter of decency and lines that you don't cross? Like, hey, the soaking wet woman with the two kids has just come in here. Maybe instead of saying, hey, she's got a really compelling story to tell. I want to put her on. Maybe you might want to let her get into some dry clothes. 414-799-1620. Now, I understand that the woman stood there and started answering questions. So maybe she should have just walked away in the first place. But clueless, just just clueless, 414-799-1620. And I think this is one of the reasons why, candidly, I think a lot of people look at what goes on in media coverage of things like this, and they just shake their heads. We discuss next, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 942. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Gee, your house just burned down. Gee, um, you were just involved in an automobile accident and your children died. How do you feel about this? Gee, you've just been trapped for five days in what is a, a biblical type of flood. You waited to be rescued for several for several days. You haven't had any food. You haven't had access to water. You're soaking wet. Your kids are soaking wet. Here, let's do an interview on CNN and let me ask you how you feel. It's um, What seriously could they have been thinking? Dan in Brookfield. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing today? Good. What do you think? Hey, you know, I don't understand the qualifications you need to be a reporter anymore. If it's like a third grade education, but the minute somebody tells you and they're with their kids and they haven't eaten for five days, I mean, get them the shelter they need, the food they need. I mean, for God's sakes, where the hell is the common sense with these people? Well, and, and you could tell, and again, if you, you can hear it from like what we played, but if you watch it, you can see the woman is becoming progressively more agitated a, as this goes on. And rather than just ending the interview, um, you know, we, we continue. Let's continue asking this obviously agitated woman. Let's ask her even more questions until she ultimately ends up exploding. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. Incredibly clueless. Hey, no. Jeff, one other thing. It's kind of almost like this had to have happened to bring this country back together. I hate to put it that way, 
but you see the best of what's going on in this country right now. Well, you you do. It, it is. I mean, thanks. No, it, I mean, it isn't as horrible as this is, and it is incredibly horrible. I, I mean, we come together as a country. That's one of the reasons, and I'm, I'm glad you just said that because one of the reasons. One of the things that bothered me about, as we started off the program, talking about the the criticism of President Trump, who's down in the area, oh, he's not showing empathy or whatever. All right, we're... Okay, we're, we're trying to come together as a country, and you see all the rescue efforts, and you see all the, the incredible humanitarian relief that's going on there. And so, okay, now we're going to criticize, because we don't like President Trump, we're going to criticize, you know, his, his visit. It, it's at some point in time, you know, don't we have to appeal to the better angels of our nature? And look, and I understand the media does stories about the relief things and all of that, but again, it's like, in this particular case, let's focus on a, an obviously distraught, woman who is you know at, at her breaking point and and let's stick a microphone and a camera in their face i mean that's the point that mitch makes he texts me this poor woman was at her breaking point but the cnn reporter wouldn't let up typical media tactic to exploit uh, media for ratings and cnn says trump lacks empathy um you know kudos to the mom for putting them in their place i mean yeah th- this no look and i i understand she stood there so i guess she could have probably just said all right, I get out, get that mic. I'm not talking to you at all. Get the microphone out of my face. But all right, she comes into this homeless, to this rescue shelter. She's been trapped for five days. She's soaking wet. And um, yes, she should probably said no. I don't want to talk to you at all. But but again, you have these reporters from CNN. Hey, this is going to be good ratings. I've got this woman who's obviously distraught. Here, people will watch. Well, yeah, people watched, but they watched this particular lady put you in your place. By saying, oh, look, you know, why, why don't you deal with, you know, helping us try to get help, not trying to exploit us? And I think she makes a very, very good point. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, this has gone viral, of course. If you want to see the report, you can text the word reporter, 414-799-1620. But this is another one of these examples why I think so many people just get disgusted with some of the coverage you see in the mainstream media. It's 950. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 9.52, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, how does investment in employer engagement hmm, set a company apart from its competition? Expert Noah Rickon shares his thoughts with the team at Milwaukee, and it's all in the Intersection of People and Place podcast that's up now on our WTMJ mobile app. As I say this all the time, when, when you go there, you can download various podcasts that we have. We have podcasts that are done specifically for our mobile app from people that you don't here on the radio all the time and of course we we do daily podcasts of the shows that you do here and i know a lot of people download this show so you can listen to it at your convenience if you can't hear all three and a half hours we have the podcast of the program up every afternoon and i know a lot of people end up downloading that hey coming up in um less than 10 minutes the coyotes are back um and again the advice to deal with them isn't any better now than it was a few months ago. We're going to be talking about that and a lot of other stuff as well, including what the federal government's responsibility is to people who've lost everything down in Houston. So stick around. But Kathy Griffin, 
back in the news. You will recall Kathy Griffin. She was the self-proclaimed D-list comedian whose career took, well, took a turn for the worse when she decided to go to this photo shoot a couple months ago. And remember, she, she stood there holding what appeared to be a bloodied, severed head of President Trump. And then so she posed for this. This wasn't just something that just it, it wasn't like she was sitting on live TV and just erped something out. She posed for a picture of her standing holding what appeared to be a severed head of President Trump. Actually, the story was his kids saw it and Lisa initially was a little bit freaked out about this. After the story came out, initially she was not apologetic at all until she lost her gig hosting the New Year's Eve show on CNN. She started losing um, a a lot of gigs because people were saying, look, this is she just went too far. And so her initial reaction was to not be apologetic at all. Then once she realized that it was breaking bad against her, then she I'm really, really sorry. Well, then she had a press conference a couple weeks ago with her attorney where she comes out and now she's not particularly apologetic well kathy griffin to the extent anybody cares is back in the news trying to resurrect her career and her latest statement um this is how usa today reports it is she says you know upon second thought she's decided that she's not sorry about her trump photo at all here's the way they reported usa today kathy griffin isn't sorry anymore the comedian took back her apology for the stunt in which she held up a fake severed head of President Trump while being interviewed this week in Australia. So she goes to Australia to now say, hey, I'm I'm not sorry at all about this. I'm no longer sorry. The whole outrage was BS. The whole thing got so blown out of proportion, said Griffin on Australia's Sunrise Show, which I presume is their equivalent of today. Um, the Secret Service elected not to, you know, issue charges, but they investigate her. Griffin, uh, after she released the photo, she lost her regular gig hosting the New Year's Eve program. Her national tour was canceled. Um, She recently revealed that she and um, Anderson Cooper, who was her co-host on CNN and her buddy, they are no longer friends because he criticized her for the stunt. I lost everybody. I had Chelsea Clinton uh, tweeting against me. I had friends. Deborah Messing from Will and Grace was tweeting against me, she said on the news show. I didn't just lose my one night on CNN. My entire tour was canceled within 24 hours because every single theater got all these death threats. These Trump fans, they're, they're hardcore. My guess is... They didn't cancel her tour because Trump fans were calling with death threats. They canceled the tour because she crossed the line of decency. And, uh, again, a lot of these uh, theaters just didn't want to deal with somebody who showed that lack of judgment. But anyhow, she goes on to say, I'm no longer, you know, sorry. They asked her if she believed she crossed a line by sharing the graphic image of the president. Uh, She says, no, you're full of crap. Stop this. Stop acting like my little picture is more important than talking about the actual atrocities that the president of the United States is committing. So, you know, in May, when she was trying to resurrect her career, um, I went too far. The image is too disturbing. I understand how it offends people. It wasn't funny. I get it. Now she apparently goes to Australia and says, nope, I've changed my mind. Not sorry at all. It's everybody else. I happen to be the victim here. All these people are picking on me. You know, again, 
the First Amendment allows people to do stuff. But as I as I frequently say, just because you have a right to do things doesn't mean that it is the right thing to do. Now, I understand that politics is not beanbag. I understand that, you know, um, people who are public figures um, get criticized. I understand that some of that criticism is fair and some isn't. But to tell you the truth, what Kathy Griffin did, if I don't know where the line is, but it seems to me pretty clear that she ended up crossing that line. And there were all sorts of consequences for it. We want to talk about an opportunist. Once she realized that this was not being viewed as ha-ha-ha funny, she immediately decided, I'm going to retreat, I'm going to apologize, I'm going to say I'm sorry. This shows what an absolute fake Kathy Griffin is, because now it's apparent that you know she didn't mean her apologies. All she was trying to do is resurrect her career. That's not working, so now she's back to a, original plan A. I'm not sorry at all. I don't like Donald Trump. I don't think across the line. Bottom line is Kathy Griffin did cross the line. And if you had, again, a female comedian who had done this with Barack Obama, they would have crossed the line as well. Sorry, Kathy Griffin has to go to Australia to try to resurrect her sorry career. I don't think it's going to work. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 10.07. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Yeah, as I've been mentioning for the last day or so, I, I have now joined the I have now been dragged into the 21st century. We're back up on Twitter. It is very active. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. And what we do is I, I'm trying to use Twitter to not only talk about things and give you a head start on things that we're going to talk about the show and when send links and things like that, but also some fun stuff as well. For example, last evening I was sitting around. Um, I was watching the Brewers game, and uh, the Brewers game, as often happens when Matt Garza is pitching, got out of hand really early and was kind of kind of ugly. My best friend, who is a huge baseball fan, has thought for years that I've been too tough on Matt Garza. He, he called me up last night and said, I apologize. I think you're right. Um, I think you've been right. At least you're right now that they can't put him out there again to pitch if they have any hope of trying to win the pennant. But in any event, the, the game kind of got out of hand, so I... I was looking for something else to watch, and there's a movie. Matter of fact, I, I sent, I actually tweeted about this. There is a movie that was nominated for several Oscars, a little movie. It's called um, Hell or High Water, and it features Jeff Bridges uh, you know, from the Big Lebowski fame and Chris Pine, who plays uh, the the. He's in Star Trek is probably what he's perhaps best known for. He's the new Captain Kirk in the Star Trek reboot. But, you know, they're in it along with a couple other people. And it's it's a little movie, and it just got a lot of attention at the different film festivals, nominated for a series of Oscars, didn't win anything, I don't believe. But it's just an outstanding movie. It's one of the best movies that I have seen just in a long time. Um, and it's about these two brothers who go on a, a spree of robbing small banks out, out of the, the Midlands of Texas. And I, it's, but it's, it's more than just like this bank robbery, chase thing, shoot them up. It's a really interesting and a really, really good movie. And I ended up watching it last night. So that was one of the things I was using my Twitter account to just say, hey, if you're looking for movie recommendations, you get a chance to see To Hell or high, uh, Hell or High Water. I highly recommend people doing that. So you can follow me on Twitter. It's Jeff Wagner 620. It's just another way for us to connect beyond our 
text line and beyond the emails and beyond all that stuff. We are just plugged in 24-7. That's a lot of fun. number of people still want to see this report. I can see from our text lines um, the, the magic word is reporter, not report, not reports. It is reporter, R-E-P-O-R-T-E-R, and we'll send you a link, and you can watch the complete unedited interview that the CNN reporter conducts with the woman who apparently her and her children were just rescued and you can watch the lady go off on the CNN reporter on live television. All right, let let us switch gears. If you are a regular listener of this program, you, you, this I freely acknowledge is one of my pet peeves and and it's made it's perhaps more aggravated because I am a dog lover. I, if you're new to the program, you know, for the last two-plus years, I, I've, I got a dog a couple of years ago. I grew up with dogs, and for most of my adult life, never had one. And then for a variety of reasons, about two, a little over two years ago, got, got a dog. It's, um, she's about a five-and-a-half-pound Pomeranian um, who is one of the lights of, of my life. It's so interesting. Everybody that meets Sasha just absolutely loves her. Friends of my fiancé were talking about how that one of them, um, my friend Colleen, was, was watching her granddaughter. And she says, all, all of a sudden, the granddaughter, my granddaughter is sitting in this chair, and she starts singing how she loves Sasha. So it's, I, I, I have this, everybody loves their dogs, and, and I certainly love mine. Now, my dog is little. I do not leave her outside unattended, um, just for a variety of reasons. But, you know, when she's outside, she is on a leash, and I'm with her or somebody is with her. She's just she's not allowed unattended in a backyard or something like that. I just That's just not how it, it works for a variety of reasons. But I know for a lot of people that that's not how you operate. Um, what you'll do, as a matter of fact, there's a... There's uh, some friends of mine who live right around the corner from where I live. They've got a, a larger dog, but the dog is outside most of the day. They've got an elect one of those, you know, invisible fences, and the dog. If, if you walk by their house, the dog is in the front yard. That's that's where the dog hangs out, and the homeowners. Well, they're not out there with the dog. I mean, sometimes they might be, but the idea is, hey, the dog likes to be outside. Let's leave the dog outside. I know for a lot of you, that's just the standard sort of thing. I mean, during the day, you will allow the dog out. Maybe you've got the invisible fence. Maybe it's a fenced on in backyard. You know, whatever. You'll allow the dog out to run around and play. You know, you don't expect the dog to be inside. All right. Well, the coyotes or coyotes. Uh, depending on where you're from, the coyotes are are back, and there. Here's the latest story. Um, today's TMJ4 had it. The Wisconsin DNR warns pet owners about coyotes roaming neighborhoods. The Wisconsin DNR sent out a warning after coyotes start prowling local neighborhoods. The DNR said it's that time of year that the wild animals start to explore new areas. Residents in Hales Corners told today's TMJ4 that a coyote had recently been spotted on several occasions. Some said it has even approached dogs. One resident snapped a picture of a 30 to 40 pound coyote, 30 to 40 pounds, roaming her backyard on Sunday. The photo has been circulating around the neighborhood ever since. Woman says, I was really surprised by the size of that coyote. He was big, much bigger than I expected. And so these residences are, residents are, uh, of course, you know, nervous. Another one said, um, you know, hey, we reported this, this coyote to the Milwaukee County Coyote Watch site. Um, and what really scared us is the animal didn't run when we yelled. 
and it came towards our barking dog. It has taken dog toys, you know, from our yard. And so this is, I mean, the DNR's response, um, and they, they always trot out this woman who says, well, okay, these are out here. Um, they're in Milwaukee County, and this, this is a time when the young ones start to disperse from their birth territories. So th- this is what the DNR says. The best thing you can do in any situation is to be outside with your pets. Coyotes normally travel between dusk and dawn. Dog owners who normally let their pets out at night or early morning should stand watch. And the DNR says, well, if a coyote is attacking your dog, you know, oftentimes you can scare it away, yelling at it, maybe throwing things at or near it. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Maybe I view this too much from a pet owner's perspective. And again, I don't really, this doesn't really impact me because I'm not leaving my dog unattended, alone, you know, in the backyard. She's little. I'm not necessarily worried about coyotes. I'm worried about raccoons or other sort of stuff. So I don't leave her unattended. But I know this is a commonplace thing for many of you to leave your dogs, you know, out for extended periods of time in the backyards, um, and you're not watching them. And, of course, what the DNR is now saying is, well, this time of year, um, you, you might want to not do that. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, that might be good advice to an extent because you're saying, okay, if you care about your dog, it's going to be attacked. I don't think that is the answer to this problem, though. If you have coyotes that are running loose, attacking animals in Milwaukee County, the answer is, to get rid of those coyotes or predators. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if that means hiring sharpshooters, if that means trapping them and removing them to wherever, I, I say you do that. Telling people don't leave your pets out unattended, while might be good advice if you don't want your pets to be attacked, that's not the answer. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. All right. Is that what we should be telling people, or should we be doing more to allow those of you who have pets that you could actually, heaven forbid, leave them outside without watching them constantly? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1017. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1020. This is Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. One of the most popular lakes in southeastern Wisconsin will be drained next month. Which one and for what reason? Find out today during Scafidi and Billstat at 1220 here on WTMJ. The guys have a shortened program today because we've got matinee baseball as the Brewers try to rebound from really an ugly loss yesterday. They need this game. You can hear it here on WTMJ. All right. Uh, coyotes are out again apparently plaguing a number of neighborhoods. The response you get from the DNR is, well, they're here, just don't leave your dogs unattended. All right, now that might be good advice. That that might be good advice, but is that really, 
Is that what we should be telling people, that now apparently there's so many predators, these wild animals that are roaming the neighborhoods in Milwaukee County, that you can't leave your dog out for any length of time or else it's going to get attacked? Seems to me that's not the way you handle this problem. Peter in Germantown. Peter, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, you know, I lived in Oak Creek for many years. I recently bought a house in Bayview. Um, I live near Humboldt Park. I have a six-foot fence surrounding my entire yard, and there are coyotes around. Now, I have not seen one in my yard, but my neighbor has seen one outside of the fence. And I hear from the DNR that these things can jump six-foot-plus fences. Wow. And it's disturbing because, you know, you you live in town. You don't think you're going to have to worry about wild animals. And... You know, there are a lot of people in the neighborhood who, believe it or not, are conceal and carry. And I think I talked to a neighbor recently. He said, if I see one, I'm taking it out. Now, does that pose a danger threat for, for the community? I'm definitely for conceal and carry. But are we going to have people shooting wild animals in their yard now? Well, right. And keep in mind, in, in some you're right. Like, for example, in a lot of the communities, um, uh, it's illegal to discharge a firearm, Milwaukee County in particular. I mean, I, I, obviously, you know, you, you try to shoot a coyote in your backyard and, you know, you have violated the law. Now, maybe there might be some exception if it's self-defense, if it's being attacked or something like that. But it's, yeah, it, it's just a mess. And I guess I'm just frustrated by the DNR's response, Peter. I mean, you, you've got a fence that's out there to, to tell people, and again, it might be good advice, but to tell people, well, there's nothing you can really do just don't leave your dogs outside unattended that to me just isn't acceptable that's not an adequate response to say well don't let your dogs outside because there's predators out there well, I agree, and I think most of my neighbors would agree too. Yeah, no, thanks. For, I mean, seeing that, and again, that's what the the frustrating point of all this is. The um, you know, in, in Milwaukee County, they've they've come up with this cockamamie scheme where if they catch these coyotes that are roaming wild, instead of eradicating them or removing them they, they tag them so oh, okay here's the coyote this just ate fluffy and you know hails corners so now let's release him so when you know he eats fido or kills fido in whitefish bay you know we'll be able to you know track the the movement and again i i, I just part of part of the overall issue is you you've had these predators who have continued moving south i i get that they're not scared of, of humans anymore. They're not afraid of interacting. And, and I appreciate that it is a it is a certain problem. But I, I do think that there's expectations that when you live in urban areas, you know, you're to tell you don't let your dog unattended outside, don't let your dog run in your backyard at, at dusk or at dawn or during the day because, you know, it might get attacked by one or more coyotes. It, don't we expect more from our, our tax dollars? Terry in Green Bay. Terry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my Hi, call. Hi, Terry. Hi. Uh, I, I think this is really a, a good subject, and, and I agree. I mean, I don't want to see anyone's pet get, get you know, taken by a coyote or something like that. But I think the thing that's really ironic about this whole discussion is we've got a serious wolf problem in this state also. Yeah. Not only here, but in Minnesota, Michigan, yep. and the other states. And we've been trying to get that off the endangered species list, and the people that are most against taking them off are the people from the large cities, Milwaukee, Madison, and other large cities. They go to the courts, they go to the the district courts that aren't even in this area to get them put back on the endangered species list. And I can tell you there's many more domestic animals 
whether it's livestock, dogs, hunting dogs, pets taken by wolves every day or every yeah, especially in your neck of the woods. Yes, especially in the nor- in you're calling from the Green Bay area, especially up yeah. there. No, I, I'm no thanks. I, I'm I'm with you entirely. Now, what Terry is referring to is um, for the longest time, gray wolves were were protected. Um, as, as an endangered species, uh, the gray wolf population in Wisconsin has come back, and you know um, the the, I, the the DNR wants to take um, gray wolves off the protected species list. There is a a judge who's been hearing this case who has prevented them from doing this, and it's a federal judge who's not based in Wisconsin. And the rationale is, well, okay, there there might be plenty enough of these wolves in in Wisconsin and Michigan and whatever, but there's not enough in Idaho or whatever. So, you know, we're not going to take it off the list, which makes it difficult for people to, you know, deal with the growing population. And that's an issue as well. This is the larger battle that happens when you have uh, again the, the spread of the predators into the urban areas and I, I think he makes a good point on the gray wolves down here it's coyotes it's coyotes and it's a huge problem and I'm sorry with all due respect to the DNR <coughs> simply simply saying hey don't leave your pet out is not a sufficient response it's 1026 this is Jeff Wagner when we come back It's going to be the follow-up story to what is going on in Houston. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, but I want to revisit the subject with a slightly different take. Eight out of ten people who have sustained massive property damage don't have insurance. What do we do to help them, if anything? Stick around. It's 1027. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How does investment and employee engagement set a company apart from its competition? Expert Noah Ricken shares his thoughts with the team at Newwalkie, and it's all in the Intersection of People and Place podcast. You can hear that now on WTMJ Mobile, and when you're there, just sign up, subscribe to some of the other podcasts, subscribe to mine on a daily basis, and um, they'll notify you when it is posted on a daily basis. Um, all right, let, I, I mentioned this briefly yesterday, and I, I want to revisit it from a slightly different perspective. Uh, and, and let me back into this this topic. I've, I, I am not an insurance agent. I do not play one on the radio. So anything I say here, you want to check with your insurance agent. As a general rule, if you have a house and you have homeowner's insurance, there are things that the homeowner's insurance policy covers and doesn't. Typically, homeowner's insurance may, depending in some cases it's automatic in the policy, in other cases you have to like buy something special, but it will cover damage to your home, or at least you can get coverage for damage to your home as a result of sewer backup. So in other words, let's say there's a huge rainstorm like there was you know, six years ago in Milwaukee, and the sewer system backs up, stuff backs up into your basement. You've got three feet of water in your basement. Your furnace is taken out. Your hot water heater is taken out. Um, maybe it's a finished basement. There's damages. Homeowner's insurance, you can get coverage under your homeowner's insurance policy for sewer backup damage. There might be limits as to how much they pay. You might need a special provision, but you can get coverage. Additionally, if let's say there's a heavy wind storm, it's raining and wind, and the wind blows off a portion of your roof 
and the rain comes in and that water causes damage. If if the underlying cause of it was the wind that blew off your roof, um, you can get coverage for the water damage. Right? That's the general rule. However, if the water damage is caused by a flood, so it's not sewer backup, it's not the roof gets blown off and rain comes in, but it, but it's a it is a flood, huge downpour of rain. All of a sudden, your street turns into a stream. Next thing you know, your basement is full of water, and it's over the first floor, and you have all this damage to the home. If it is because of a flood, water coming in from the outside, it's not going to be covered for homeowner's insurance. So you're kind of out of luck unless you sign up to get flood insurance, which is something separate it is underwritten by the federal government. If you live in areas that are are particularly prone to flooding, um, the, the banks typically have rules that require you to have flood insurance. But a, those rules aren't vigorously enforced. And for a lot of people, they just make the decision that we don't want to pay for it. Um, flood insurance, which is, again, underwritten by the federal government, has has limitations the the maximum coverage for damage to the home is like a, is two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. The maximum limits for property damage, like stuff you would have in your house, is like a hundred thousand uh, dollars. And flood insurance is expensive. It's I I have it. I don't live in a floodplain, but after what happened in 2010, I called up my insurance agent and I said, let's, you know, I I just don't want to take the chance. This is one of my principal assets and my home is never flooded and I think it's unlikely that it's going to flood and I hope I never need this and I've never needed it, but it's worth, I want to say it's like 500 bucks a year. Could be a little bit off on that, but I, I want to say it's like 500 bucks a year, but I have it because, again, it's the, the, the peace of, of mind should something happen. All right. That's the background on this. And a lot of people, again, make the decision that, oh, my home is never going to flood. It's not worth $500 a year or whatever that cost would be. I, I'm just I'm going to take my chances. All right. In Houston, where Hurricane Harvey is hitting, the, the estimates are, and I guess I'm talking about the Houston area, this whole South Texas area that got hit. The estimates are that 80% of the people do not have flood insurance. In addition, the, the current estimates are, and, and we're not going to know this for a few weeks or months, but people are estimating now that Hurricane Harvey may be the costliest natural disaster in U.S. history. Um, the, the, Hurricane Katrina caused about 160 billion dollars in damage um you know when it hit in and around new orleans the estimates are that hurricane harvey might have done about the same so people are talking about this being on the same level as katrina 160 billion dollars some of the other big storms uh hurricane andrew 48 billion uh damage when it hit in florida in 1992 hurricane sandy in 2012 caused 70 billion dollars in damage and and they're now estimating that with again with all the damage and this rain uh the fact that you're going to have buildings that are uninhabitable going to have to be torn down they're saying this might be 160 billion dollars as well and eight out of ten people in the area 
don't have flood insurance, which means um, good luck trying to get any insurance coverage for for your house. Now, again, you know, if, if the damage is caused by the your roof being blown off with the wind and water coming in, you know, maybe you're going to be able to file a claim. But but if it's flooding, unless you have one of these insurance policies, you're, you're not going to have insurance coverage. Uh, now there is. There is stuff that FEMA does, the Federal Emergency Management Act. And, and what, what essentially they do is they can arrange low-interest loans for people. But they're loans. You know, you can borrow money. There's limits on how much you can get. But you can borrow money so you can start to make repairs or things like that. But but these are loans. They're, they're not, as a general rule, they're, they're not here, you know, we're, we're giving you money to rebuild your $200,000 house. And the effect of this, and actually we had a caller yesterday who, who made the point, um, the, the effect of this, in many cases, you have people who have mortgages who don't have the wherewithal. They don't, this isn't going to be a covered loss. They don't have the wherewithal to, you know, rebuild. They don't have $100,000 to fix the damage to their $200,000 home. So what they're going to probably do is just walk away. Just walk away, default on the mortgage, which is going to cause, you know, problems for the bank. So the question becomes, in the face of a natural disaster like this, for people who have made the decision, for whatever reasons, to take the risk and not to go out and get the flood insurance, which even then, like I say, for some of the bigger homes, it, it's, it's limited to $250,000. So um, even for the bigger homes, that, that's if you've got a $400,000 house, it's not going to and that it's totally destroyed, you're still going to be out, but at least it gets you something. So the question becomes, what, what happens? Should we as taxpayers, should the federal government essentially come in and do, do more, do more than just low-interest loans, whether it's giving people who haven't had the flood insurance, should we give people $50,000 to rebuild? Should we give them $100,000 to rebuild? You know, what do we do? Or do we just say you're, you're on your own? Low interest loans, yes, we'll arrange for temporary housing, but, you know, entire neighborhoods wiped out. If you don't have flood insurance, too bad. Do we have an obligation to commit tens of billions of dollars to try to help people who don't have that flood insurance. And if we don't, are we being cruel? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll come I'll tell you where I come down on this and we'll we'll discuss. But what what do you do? Because as bad as this is, I mean the aftermath is going to be absolutely horrible. What do we do for people who decide to live in these areas? understanding that when that hurricane hits, and this they say this is the once-in-a-thousand-year rainstorm, but this was the year it hit. 414-799-1620 is the number. We discuss next. It's 1045. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1048, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. BDU's producing the show today. I love our listeners. Somebody always asks me a question I don't know the answer to. Um, Let's see, Dan says, what about renters and flood insurance? I don't think they can purchase for belongings. I don't think so either, but I don't know. It's been a long time. It's been a long, long time since I've had renters insurance, but I don't think so either. But but regardless, um, eight out of ten people in the area affected by Hurricane Harvey don't have flood insurance, 
which means a large portion, perhaps most if not all, of the losses are going to be uncovered by not covered by insurance. Um, and they're they're talking about you know not just homes, but they're, they're saying this might be the greatest, most expensive natural disaster ever. They're looking at $160 billion, a good portion of that, which will be not be covered by insurance. If these numbers are correct, you know, what do we do? I mean, do we bail out people who live in the area? Brian in Brookfield. Brian, you're first. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Brian. I guess I, there's an old saying that I always go by is that most people in life don't uh, plan to fail. They fail to plan. I think I think it should be mandatory. Anybody who lives along a coast, whether it's Florida, Texas, all the way up and down the coast, within 100 miles, they should be required by their mortgage companies and everything else to get renter's insurance. It only costs 500 bucks a year. That's $40 a month. Maybe buy two less packs of cigarettes or less lottery tickets or coffees. But mm-hmm. we should not have to bail people out because they don't plan. You know, no one plans for a natural disaster, but nobody plans for anything if it's a disaster. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's why, again, after after the heavy rain we had in 2010, I don't live in an area that, that's prone to flooding at all. I, I've never I've never even had water in the basement, but I, I was just looking at this catastrophe. I'm looking at my insurance policy, and I decided, hey, it's worth, I think, like I say, 500 bucks or so. It's worth that a year just to have that peace yeah. of mind in case... There would ever be the flood. It's never happened, but that's why you. Ha- that's why I have insurance. I want to protect yeah, myself you, in case it happens. Yeah, you can put it on your insurance policy. Uh, uh, part of your mortgage is the tax write-off, so you get a benefit there. But again, why should uh, the rest of the people in the country be paying for or funding people that haven't planned for anything? So your answer would be okay. It's, you know, we're going to give them the disaster assistance and things like that, the low interest yeah. loans, but we can't expect the taxpayers to come up with a hundred billion dollars, or whatever, to help rebuild. Not at all, and I don't feel bad for the banks either. People walk away from their mortgages because they're, you know, no pun intended, but they're underwater. The banks should require, and, right. and just like they do PMI insurance, if you don't have enough money down, they make you take insurance out. PMI insurance. They should also make you take out flood insurance to protect themselves. Yeah, they're, you, not, they're not paying for it. The mortgagee would be paying for it. Yeah, thanks. For, and my understand, and, and this is this is again one of these undercovered stories. And I don't mean to get too deep in the weeds on this, but my understanding is that even though even for some of these homes that are in the areas where you know flood insurance is required, it's not something that anybody vigorously enforces. It's kind of like automobile insurance in Wisconsin, you know, you're supposed to carry liability insurance, but there's really, unless and until you're involved in an automobile accident and we find out you don't have insurance, um, people don't check it that much, which is going to be a rude awakening. Um, Let's see, Justin texts, should the feds be obligated to bail out the uninsured? Absolutely not. But speaking practically and fiscally responsibly, I I think a cost-benefit analysis needs to be done on whether the federal budget would be more severely impacted by paying out or letting the economy there tank tank and suffering the lost tax revenue as a result. See, this the, the this issue, though, goes beyond just this particular natural disaster because as more and more people in this country gravitate towards the coasts, you know, we, we're seeing more, and and that's it. People want to live in Florida. They want to live on, along the Gulf Coast. They want to live on the Atlantic Coast. They want to live in California along the Pacific Coast. And as, as that happens, you know, as more and more people gravitate towards these areas that might be potentially more prone to these natural disasters, more and more people are at risk 
of, again, experiencing something like this. I mean, the bottom line is, look, I, I want to provide all the assistance you possibly can. But the truth of the matter is I, you, the government can't come up with $100 billion to rebuild for people who, again, made the decision that they didn't want to have, you know, insurance. Barb in Whitewater. Barb, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Barb. Barb, Barb, Barb. Okay, let's try Brady in Milwaukee. Brady, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, you know, I've been in the uh, the water restoration business for 15 years, and you, what the, your last caller was, you know, saying that, you know, we as a, as a, as a government, as a national government, shouldn't have to pay for those who didn't plan. Well, if sounds like you just recently dug into your homeowner's policy, you will probably see that groundwater is not a covered or named peril. Right. Meaning that that's not a, that's not a coverable loss. So you, uh, just like me and many others in the state of Wisconsin or the state of Texas, we pay our premiums as we should. Uh, if an event happens, we're going to pay our deductible, and we're going to, you know, uh, have to then, you know, be responsible for the payment of our repairs. Right. In this case, if you're not on a registered floodplain, if the federal government does not recognize your home on, on a federal floodplain, flood you cannot purchase flood insurance. So it's not that a lot of these people don't want to or can't afford to or aren't trying to cover themselves. It, there, it, there's a gray area there between are you on a registered floodplain? And some of these homes in that impact zone are not going to be on a registered floodplain. Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm, well, I, I, I don't, I, I just don't think you're right on that, Brady. Um, because I'm not sure I'm on a registered floodplain, but I, I, I purchase the insurance every, I purchase the insurance every year. Um, let's see. 17% of homeowners in eight counties most directly by, affected by Harvey have flood insurance. Um, that will cover the cost, but, um, you see, I mean, I just think, let's see, homeowners have to purchase separate flood insurance policies from the government-run National Flood Insurance Program um, that is there. No, it, it the average cost for a plan is $500 a year, but it can rise to more than $2,000 for homes inside a floodplain. No, it, it's, no, I mean, I mean, my, my home isn't in a floodplain, and, and yet I, I can still buy the insurance. It's more expensive if it's in the floodplain, which is what my, you know, understanding is that, um, you know, anyone can get flood insurance. Now, I don't know if it was always that way you know, 15 years ago or if it was something, you know, different. But, but the point of the matter is, you know, one way or the other, um, the, these are uninsured losses and whether we want to blame the people for not getting the policies or whatever, these are uninsured losses for a large number of people. So, you know, my my question becomes, what what do we do about, you know, this? Let's talk to Jim in Marinette. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, I got a house in uh, Palm Beach, north of Palm Beach, about a $400,000 house, and the uh, price of the uh, uh, flood insurance is about $400 a year. I have a friend who has a mobile home in Lockport, Texas, where the eye of the storm went over, they don't know what it is happened to it yet, but they paid 20000 for it about 10 years ago, and for them to have uh, flood insurance was $2,000 a year. Right, 2000 so, yes, that's yeah, right. That, that's what happened to a lot of people. You're looking at something and saying, well, maybe my house isn't worth a lot of money, 
and two thousand bucks a year for flood insurance. That's right. a pretty big button. Yeah. No, and that's the right, and that's the decision. You're right that they end up making that. That's my understanding. That sounds about right. Like I say, I, I don't live in a floodplain, and I'm just checking. You know, you, you can purchase insurance even if you don't live in a flood zone. Almost anybody can get flood insurance who wants it. Um, if you're not in the floodplain, it's about five hundred dollars. It's standardized policies. If you are in the floodplain, it's two grand to twenty five hundred. So people make that decision. It's it's just not worth paying all that extra money because of the cost. But then, of course, when disaster hits, disaster hits. I don't think you can do massive bailouts. I don't think we can come up with $100 billion. And that's it is unfortunately one of the risks that people end up taking. So if you're living in some of these areas, you, you really do have to kind of do that cost-benefit analysis. It's 1057. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1109. I'm Jeff Wagner. So Mike Spaulding, newsman extraordinaire. Yes, sir. I, I have a question. All right. I would make the phone call myself, except when I make the phone calls, it, it freaks out people from time to time. Um, you will remember that the Fire and Police Commission had directed the chief of police to change the, the pursuit policy. Remember yes. that, yes. All that that controversy that was there? And the chief of police initially declined to do that and hired his own lawyer and all. Well, I, I was just, I was kind of running the numbers, and the Fire and Police Commission gave Ed Flynn 30 days to come up with a new policy. Mm-hmm. The 30 days would have expired on August 27th. Now it is, it's August 30th. I haven't seen anything anywhere about what's happened. Yeah, it's not just you. Uh, I, I emailed the police department last week and asked if the chief would be uh, wanting to do any interviews beforehand. He, um, through your spokesman, they politely declined to do that. And the Fire and Police Commission, they will be meeting on September 7th, I believe, to look over whatever proposal was given to them. If if any has been given. So we don't even know if, we don't know if, if any has. So nobody, the deadline was, again, the deadline, I think, would have hit on a Sunday, but the deadline was, was Monday. Something was supposed to be submitted, and at least as far as you know, publicly, nobody's sharing any information. That is correct. Huh. So you don't even have to make a call. You've, you're have one step ahead of him. You've already made the call, and, and so we don't know if Ed Flynn complied with the directive. We don't know if he did what he suggested. Nobody's telling the general public. Nobody's telling the common council. Nobody's. We we don't know where this stands, and we won't know for at least another ten days unless somebody at the Fire and Police Commission um, says something. Yeah, correct. Exactly. Huh. Okay. Well, I guess that's not a good answer, but that does sort of answer the the question. Yes. That that'd be kind of that would be kind of interesting. What happens if if you you know you're a public official and you get deadlines? And again, I. And then, you know, nobody nobody knows whether you complied with it or not, or in particular, what the, the answer is. You would think that this would be a matter that would have would have been made public. But for everybody who is emailing me saying, what, what's happened to that? It's not something that we've, it's not something that we have forgotten at all. The chief got 30 days, and we don't know whether he responded or not. I'm not suggesting he, he didn't. It's just, uh, he's not saying whether he did or not, and apparently nobody at the Fire and Police Commission is talking, and Nobody at the mayor's office is talking, so it remains a mystery. Meanwhile, bad guys continue to flee from Milwaukee police on a daily basis. All right. The Kenosha Unified School District is taking some heat over something that they are doing. Let me just say at the beginning, I think it is unjustified. 
Kenosha Unified, of all people, find themselves in the middle of this whole controversy involving transgender students and what accommodations need to be made for them in in schools. You, you may recall that there was a, um, you know, there was a a kid um, who is female by birth but identifies as a a boy. And Kenosha had taken the policy that this student had to use essentially the girls' restroom. Or actually what what they had is they had all they had as I recall, they had suggested alternatives like we're gonna set up a gender neutral bathroom and that, that wasn't acceptable. The matter went through the court system and it went up to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the appeals court right below the Supreme Court that hears appeals from cases out of Milwaukee, Indiana, out of Wisconsin, Indiana, and Illinois. And the three-judge panel of the Seventh Circuit said that Kenosha, the school district, had engaged in sex stereotyping, whatever that means, in violation of Title IX, which is the federal civil rights law that prohibits sex discrimination in education, um, by essentially saying that you have to use the the bathroom that identifies with what your your gender is the issue though is broader than just bathrooms and i i have always made this argument that to me there's a difference between a bathroom and say a locker room or a sauna or something like that because that the privacy levels are are different let us say that you have somebody who is physically female, but who identifies as a male. Well, okay, they want to use the boys' bathroom. You can go into the boys' bathroom and you go into a stall. So you've got a degree of privacy that's there. And similarly, you know, the opposite thing would apply. If you've got somebody who is physically born as a male, but identifies as a female, they could go into the girls the women's room they're going to use a stall so you're not there is that degree of privacy now as i have argued to me the answer to this the simple answer is you you offer unisex bathrooms in situations like this and i don't know about you but when i was in high school if you said hey jeff we're going to have this own bathroom you're going to have your own bathroom i would have said great you know but but that of course because you've got people on both sides of this issue who are trying to raise concerns and want, have got causes, just, just providing a unisex bathroom isn't good enough. But to me, the bathrooms, because of the degree of privacy that's there, poses one issue that maybe, okay, it's not the end of the world if you have somebody who aden- identifies as, as a boy who wants to use the girl's bathroom or vice versa because there's privacy. It is, to me, completely and totally different, though, when it comes to things like locker rooms and saunas and things like that. For example, you know, in most most high schools, you, you have there are public changing areas. You sit on a bench, you've got the lockers. And it's to take, for example, a group of, I don't know, 13- and 14-year-old girls and have them changing into their gym clothes or whatever – and have somebody who identifies as a girl but is biologically a boy right next, you know, sitting in the on the bench next to them where you've got all the boy parts, 
I think that that raises different privacy concerns. Similarly, um, when it comes to, say, saunas and showers and things like that, it's the, the same sort of thing. At a lot of these schools, say there's a pool attached, and let's say that you are there with, you know, you're you're a 36-year-old woman, and you're there with your six-year-old daughter, and you're in the locker room changing, you know, with your, your child, and there's somebody who identifies as a girl but really has boy parts, and they want to be on the bench next to you changing. I think you have privacy interests. Now, here's where it gets really tricky. This decision that came out of the courts, the Seventh Circuit, it specifically addressed bathrooms, and they said, no, making the girl who identifies as a boy use the girl's bathroom, that's, that's sex stereotyping. It violates you know, Title IX. But, but the, order, um, the order, while it only addresses the bathroom issue, does affect other issues as well, including access to locker rooms, like I was saying, access to showers, and overnight accommodations. So in other words, it's not just the bathrooms, but it's all these other things as well. Well, Kenosha Unified has taken the matter, and they're asking the Supreme Court to hear this case. They're saying, we would like a decision once and for all as to, you know, what we have to do. What does the law really require? And can we recognize that there is a biological difference between men and women? And at least until somebody actually goes through that gender transformation, you know, we have an interest in saying, hey, we don't want the 16-year-old person who, even though they identify as a female, if they've got boy body parts, we don't think they should be in the showers or in the locker rooms with Again, the 14-year-old girls. And so Kenosha is pushing this. They want the Supreme Court to take the case. Uh, you have a lot of the advocates for the transgender community who are all up in arms about this. Oh, this is appalling that Kenosha Unified would be appealing. You know, this is, again, it's the sex stereotyping. It's horrible. It's awful. They should just let this stand. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I see a Again, to me, I think local school districts should be able to decide. And I think the simple answer is for people who have this, the small number of people who have to deal with this, I think the easy answer is just a a separate facility so it doesn't create any problems. All right? That's what I would do. But regardless of how you come down on the bathroom issue, I think the locker room, the shower, the overnight accommodation issue is very, very different. And candidly, I think until you've done gender transformation, whatever that might be, it's one thing to say you use the boy's bathroom or the girl's bathroom. It's another thing to say showers, locker rooms, overnight accommodations. And to the extent the law needs to be cleared up, I think it's good that Kenosha is appealing this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, and think about how this this affects you. You're in, again, you've got the pool pass to use the high school locker room. You're there with your little, with your six-year-old daughter, ladies. um, And you're, you're changing 
into your swimsuits in the locker room and somebody walks in and it turns out to be somebody that's got male body parts. I mean, is is that your problem? Is it their problem? Is there an interest in saying no in situations like this? The person, you don't necessarily have to use the boys' locker room if you're uncomfortable, but in that case, use the unisex changing area. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1120. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1122, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Remember that story not that long ago? A guy, physically a male at UWM, not going through any sort of gender transformation type of stuff, um, says he identifies as a female. So it's a guy, you know, um, who decides, I'm going to go into the female locker room, and I'm going to strip down, I'm going to sit in the sauna. And a number of the the students, the co-eds, were, were freaked out by this. Well, I mean, I think they have every right to be freaked out by by this. And again, I, I think, to, to me, the, I try to take a nuanced thing on this. To me, the unisex bathrooms are the way to go. But at the same time, regardless of how you feel about bathrooms, where there's a different degree of privacy, I mean, seriously, locker rooms? You know, a, a school now has to say, Okay, you know, we've got a bunch of, uh, again, 12- and 13-year-old females who are going to be taking their clothes off and going into the showers, and they now have to shower or change clothes next to a 12- or 13- or 14-year-old physically, a a boy, essentially physically, regardless of how the, the child identifies. That's ridiculous. It just is ridiculous. And it can't be what Title IX means. It can't it just can't apart from the bathroom so if we got to get the supreme court to decide this then let's let the supreme court decide it i don't think that's bashing transgender students it's just recognizing that there are biological differences between men and women and boys and girls and until you've gone through that transformation okay put bathrooms aside locker rooms sauna overnight accommodations seriously Bill in Milwaukee. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Um, I don't know what all of the answers are for all the questions, but I'm guessing that, you know, when it comes to genitalia, I mean, it's whenever you have to show it, you you better, uh, it, it could affect kids, especially young kids, psychologically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see that as being a no-win situation, but in the larger facilities in schools, in uh locker rooms there probably could be an area where they could have a few lockers and lock the door behind them and do and change their clothes and still be private you know it's the saunas it's the places you know that's where the issue is that's where you literally are showing your your stuff yeah Yeah, well right see and that's why like i say that's why i've always tried to have a nuanced view of this Bathrooms, there's a level of privacy. If you've got a somebody who is biologically a female but identifies as a boy, they go into the bathroom, they're going to be going into a stall. So you, you don't have that. The, the, you know, vice versa, the same thing, you know, if you have the person who is physically genit- has, you know, male genitalia, they're going into a stall. So it's a different thing. But when you're talking about locker rooms and saunas, that is a completely different situation. And I, I mean, I can understand why, again, my example, the 30-some-year-old mom who's got the six-year-old kid doesn't want to be sitting on a changing bench, you know, getting ready to use the pool next to, you know, an 18-year-old person who's, you know, 
got male parts that are hanging out. I, mean, they, I, get, I get that. That's a, and I think, I think that is a legitimate objection if the 30-something-year-old mom wants to raise it. Well, yeah, I mean, their kids are going to be psychologically affected, and, and, and it'll stop them from doing some of the functions, some of the sports, some of the things that they normally might do. Well, and I think it's really unfair for those people, and, and I guess you can't, can't trust the judgment of somebody that is uh, transgender, let's say, but uh, doesn't want to uh, divide anything up of following through and doing Morally or ethically, well, I guess I see. I'm, I'm, thanks, I see. I don't see it as moral or ethical or anything like that. I just think it's a, it's a matter of 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 comfort, and and the fact. I mean, I think people who have what we will say are the more standard views of gee you know there's differences between men and women and so you know men should have different changing areas than women have i mean i think they have some legitimate concerns and i think they should have some privacy rights too so it's all about balancing those issues and that this idea that okay if you are the 30 year old mom and you're there with your six-year-old daughter um it's your problem if somebody who's got male body parts walks in plops down on the uh on the bench next to you and changes or if you're in the sauna um you're and and somebody with male body parts walks in and and plops down it's your problem see i just don't think that can't it can't 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 be what title nine means and if if we got to take the matter to the supreme court to get this defined one way or the other i'm with kenosha unified 110 percent i hope I hope they take it up, and I hope you get a decision that says exactly what the law has to be. It's 1127. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Can't get me enough Skinner. You can always just give me three steps for the door. I love the bumper music we're playing in this program now. The Brewers and Cardinals wrap up their short two-game set with a matinee out at Miller Park. Bob and Jeff will begin our game day coverage at 1235 here on WTMJ. All right, I've now switched producers. BD is gone. Scott Wars. Scott, are you on Twitter? Scott, you are not. You are not on Twitter. I'm supposed to be on Twitter, but our executive producer is not, huh? Okay, my my producers, current producer, our executive producer, Scott Ward, you have no social media footprint at all. You don't have credit cards, do you? You don't have credit cards. How do you get by in America? Are you a hermit? How do you get by in America in 2017 with no social media presence and no credit cards? Uh, it's... Honest to honest to goodness, we're going to find you living in a cave someday, and and then to say whatever happened to Scott Worse? I don't know. There's no footprint. There's no Twitter. There's nothing. No credit cards. I, how how do you get by with that? Um, in any event, I, I bring this up because starting yesterday, I'm now back on Twitter. You can follow me if you choose. It's Jeff Wagner six twenty. What we do is um, I, I'm using it not only to give you updates on things on the program and actually like forward like some of the stories that we're going to be talking about in advance, but also some of the fun stuff as well. Like I say, last night I was uh, watching TV and I 
happened to stumble upon a, a movie that if, if it's a little movie, it's now making the round. It was nominated for four Oscars, but most people never saw it. Um, it stars Jeff Bridges, who of the Big Lebowski fame, and Chris Pine, who is of Star Trek, the Star Trek reboot. It, it's called Hell or High Water, and it's one of the best movies that I have seen recently. So I'm using uh, I'm using I'm using Twitter to kind of do that stuff as well. So check it out. Um, well, it's, it's sort of an interesting. I still can't get over no social media presence at all. Okay, all right. Here, here's the here's the deal. The the since I started the eight thirty to twelve shift, the most common question I get when I am out in public from people who want to talk about the program, believe it or not, it's, it's not how do you feel about President Trump or this or that or the other thing. The most common question I get is how do you like the new hours and how do you like the, the new hours and and my response is i i love everything about the earlier shift i i love getting first crack at the topics i i just i, I love everything about it except the fact that i'm always tired because i am a night owl it's it just i i have always been that way i don't go to bed before 11 or 12 o'clock at night i i just it's it's the way I am wired, which means I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning, so I, I'm constantly running on like five hours hours sleep. It's just it's the way it is. Matter of fact, I was actually talking to a doctor about this, and I, I was saying, well, maybe I'm going to get used to it, and all. And he said, no. He said, you're not going to get used to it. I mean, you're of a certain age. Your body rhythms are what your body rhythms are. It's not going to change. So as long as you do this. You're just gonna you're gonna have to get by with five hours sleep and sleeping maybe a little later on the weekends and taking naps. It's just what it is. So I said, cool, that that that's fine. Um, but I bring that up because there is a huge controversy that's playing out in some local school districts, but it's also playing out nationwide uh, with regard to when schools should start. Lots of high schools start before 8 o'clock in the morning. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this. One of the reasons that schools start earlier is because you've got to get a certain number of hours in in the school day because, and, and if you start later, how that, that starts running into extracurricular activities. You know, if you start at 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning, you're, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to go, you're going to have school go to 4 o'clock? Well, how does that impact, you know, athletics and cheerleading practice? And how does that, you know, the debate club and all that type of stuff? So for older kids to, to get to get the school day done in time for extracurriculars, you, you've got to start earlier. In addition, in a lot of school districts, you've got... Um, you use the same bus service to get the high school kids to school that you use to get the grade school kids to school. And so what happens a lot of times is the high school kids will be on the earlier routes. They go to high school, and then the school buses go by out, and they pick up the, the younger kids. And the idea being, okay, if we're going to have these earlier starts, we'd rather have it affect the older kids than, than the younger kids. You, you don't want to have... You know, somebody who's eight years old waiting at a bus stop at seven o'clock in the morning or six forty-five in, in the morning. So that's the thinking behind this. But there's all these experts out there that say, well, for especially for teenagers, teenagers need their sleep. And so, you know, um, really, you know, for teenagers, 
you shouldn't start school before 8.30 in the morning. And all these schools that start at 7.30 or 7.15 or whatever, they're doing a disservice to the kids because kids have their, what's the phrase, circadian rhythms, they're the teenagers, and they're just not getting enough sleep because of the start time. So there's all this research out there. I was just looking at a story the other day, though, that says that even though there's all this research that says schools should start later, um, interestingly, very few school districts are, very few school districts across the country are actually doing that. California is considering what would be a first-of-its-kind bill. And you get a lot of this stuff that comes out of California and then migrates to Madison. California is considering a first-of-its-kind bill which would outlaw starting school days before 8.30 in the morning. As a matter of state law, the school day couldn't start before 8.30. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I like sleeping in as well as the next guy, perhaps more than most. But the idea, I, I think the reality of this is, if kids aren't getting enough sleep, if teenagers in particular aren't getting enough sleep, the answer isn't to start the school day later. The answer is to have mom and dad make them go to bed sooner. My fervent belief is if right now school starts at 730 and you push it back to 830, that that doesn't mean the kids are going to go to bed any earlier. It probably means the kids are just going to stay up an hour later. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk about this issue directly. California wants to pass a law that says school cannot start before 8.30 in the morning. Elementary school students, high school students, would this be a good idea? And how would it work in reality? I mean, as a practical matter, let's talk about high schools. If high school doesn't start till 8.30 or 8.45 or 9 o'clock in the morning, all right, what are you going to do? You're going to run it to 4 o'clock? You're going to run school to 4.30? And then what are you going to do with extracurricular activities so kids aren't going to get home for dinner till 8 or 9 o'clock at night? 414-799-1620. All right, do we need to mandatorily push back school starting times? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 11.43. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1146, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Uh, my comment is that uh, kids should be starting school at 8 o'clock or whatever it is. Uh, just get used to the uh, work environment. <laughs> yeah. At that age, that is your job. If at a later age you get a job on second shift, you can lay around till noon if you wish to. But there's stuff to do, and you have to be there on time. And I think 8 o'clock is not an unreasonable time. Well, well, right, or or even a little bit earlier. I mean, it, it just kind of is. I mean, it just kind I'm, of I'm, is I'm, what I'm it is. Yeah, I'm figuring they got to get on a bus or whatever at seven thirty or whatever. Or maybe even a little bit earlier. But yeah, look, and, and I mean, as a practical matter, you, you just would, would we all like to sleep in? Yet, yes, we do. But sometimes there is this kind of reality that's out there. Now, thanks for call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Jim in McGuanago. Jim, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. I was a manufacturing manager for over 35 years, and I know of no 
highly paid industrial job that starts after 7 in the morning. Okay. Right. <laughs> Most of them are going to 5 in the morning because they're going to 5.10s instead of uh, four tens instead of five eights. Okay. What does that mean? I'm sorry. What, what does that mean? Four tens instead of five eights. What does that mean? You work Monday through Thursday, and you start at five in the morning. You work till three thirty in the afternoon. Oh, okay. okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now, here's the deal: you're conditioning them to fail. Right. You know. Okay. Let's sleep later. Okay. And then <laughs> I'll, I ran into I don't know how many kids that were used to sleeping late. I just can't get up that early in the morning. Right, right. You no, know, it's yeah. I mean, th- yeah, and then how do you end up dealing with this? Now, again, I think if it were for me, I mean, I would, I, I, I would like to let people sleep in as late as they they possibly could. Um, but especially at the high school level. Now, maybe there's a again. Keep in mind the reality that school districts face. I was talking about this earlier. A, a lot of times, you've got the same bus companies, so that the high school kids. You, you have to decide who's going to go earlier, the high school kids or the elementary school kids, and I think it makes sense for the high school kids to do it. In addition, the high school kids are going to have more of the issues with the after-school activities. I understand that there are some after-school activities for elementary school kids, but the chances that you're going to have band practice or you're going to have the athletics or you're going to have the debate club or whatever are, are, are less at the elementary school level. Now, I have an, an email here, um, a, a text here saying, uh, my elementary school kids go to school from 8.45 to 3.30, and it's wonderful. They get in to sleep in a bit, but they aren't done super late. That's from Kelly in Greenfield. And and I get that, but um, that's the difference, I think, between, again, the elementary school kids and the high school kids. Um, let's see. Tony says, I think this is wrong. School is like a job, and it's getting them ready for the future. So if they start doing that, they won't get up, want to get up early for work. Let's talk to Patrick in Waukesha. Patrick, you're on 620 BTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, I think uh, for the high school students, starting at a little bit later of a time than uh, the early time is actually a better idea because uh, they're going to be going to bed whenever they're going to bed. Um, I don't think it necessarily encourages them to stay up later. They're going to go to bed when they're tired. And if their parents are telling them to go to bed at 9 and they're not tired, they're not going to go to bed. They're going to find ways around it, i.e. shutting their door and putting clothes underneath the door to hide the light and stuff like well, but, that. But does that mean you just let the kids stay up as long as they want? Gee, it's midnight or it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm not tired yet. I'm, I'm playing video games or whatever. I mean, at some point in time, don't you have to tell kids... That that's it. It's time to shut off the video games and shut off the computer and go to sleep. Yeah, there is, but they'll find ways around it, though. Too. I mean, they'll stay up late reading. Uh, well, right. I guess that. I mean, I guess. I guess my point is, you can't. You you to just simply say, all right, um, we're going to let the inmates run the asylum. I mean, we're going to let kids decide that they're going to stay up until they're, they're tired. Well, what's going to happen then is that the, the the teenagers, they're going to be on the computer. They're going to be playing video games. They're, you know, whatever. And I guess and I don't think it's going to make any difference, you know, one way or the other. And plus, they're always going to be tired. That's the reality. It, if you have to get up at 6.30 or if you have to get up at 7.15, if you're playing video games till 1 o'clock in the morning, you're always going to be, you know, tired. And, and so... That's why I think you, you have to, you know, you have to try to, 
you know, deal with this. Um, Deb in West Dallas sends me a text. My daughter is a teacher in Heartland at a middle school, and her students start between 8 and 8.30, and they get done at 4. As far as I know, no one has a problem with it. Yeah, I mean, okay, and that's, again, that's middle school. My guess is the high school kids probably start even a little bit earlier, again, because depending on how it's set up, if you've got to have the separate bus system. Now, I'm trying to think, when I was... When I was in high school, we definitely started before eight. Um, my, my recollection is, my recollection is like seven thirty or seven forty-five. But you you had to, you had to end up, you know, getting, you had to end up getting that done at, at some point in time. And again, I'm just, I'm just concerned with what you do at the back end of the day. If you push the start time back. Unless you're going to substantially cut out on the lunch hours, um, let's four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Danielle in Greendale. Danielle, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, you th- you're a high school teacher. My note says I am, and huh. I get right back into the thick of it real soon. Um, and I just my my comment why I called in is because I teach a lot of first hour classes. Okay, and I have chronic attendance issues. You know, I right. teach in an urban school district, and I mean, I have serious first hour. First hour, it's like you can guarantee there's going to be five to six kids very tardy every day. Right. Um, and then you get a lot of kids who are just pretty much, you know, half asleep. They're not really awake, and they're always complaining about it because that's what high school kids do. <laughs> they complain about almost everything right. that they don't like. Um, so for me... I am not, though, a fan of it, because like the other guy who called in, you know, I have to be at my job by 7 o'clock every yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes yeah. I'm there at 6.30, and I don't like it, and like you, it's vi- all year of nine months, it's really hard for me. You're tired. Um, I, I'm <laughs> yeah. tired. Yeah. I'm tired all the time. By Friday, I'm a zombie. Um, and so, you know, that's just a part of, you know, one of those perks of getting older right. is, Entering the real world and having to be somewhere when you don't really want to be. Right. And so I don't think that would necessarily be a good thing, catering to, right. you know, half the population who doesn't like getting up early. And, and see, Daniel, <laughs> I would be, no, see, and I, I'm really glad you called because I would also be interested, my, my guess, and it's just a guess, is let's say your school pushed back the starting time a half hour for the sake of argument. <laughs> No. Right. Yeah. Th- yeah. See that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That. I guess that was. I mean, they'd still be groggy. They'd still be dragging in. I mean, it's just. It's I like the people that show up to church every Sunday, forty-five minutes yeah, late. Right. Okay. You can make the time difference. They're still right. going to be late. Danielle, you are my favorite call of the morning. I'm going to end the show on that call. <laughs> sure. right. No, thank, okay. thanks, thanks for the call. There, that's it. There, they would see that. I was just, I didn't prompt her there. That was my question. All right, you push the starting time back a half hour. All of a sudden, are those same people that are straggling in now, are they going to get there on time? Heck no. They're still going to be a half hour late. You heard it from the high school teacher.